you, you're constantly playing that battle of, you know, well, okay, well, here's what I'm working with, but here's what I want to be. But you have to also have to be really, you know, you might not get where you want to be in nine months. You know, like, like if you're in an Olympic quad, you have to envision yourself that you have an idea and a picture of what you want to look like at a certain point, but you might not get there. You might not have the exact key idea of what success looks like visual, visually, but you just got to trust that like so many people have done unbelievable things who, you know, you wouldn't expect it from. Um, and I think that's one thing like is, that is so important is, is realizing that like success doesn't have a look. Welcome to the Well You Mental Training Podcast. My name is Brian Alexander, and I will be your host today as we explore our guest's athletic story. Today, we are joined by U.S. swimmer and World Championships gold medalist, Michael Chadwick. Michael is ranked as one of the fastest sprint freestyle specialists currently on the U.S. national team. If you understand the level of competitiveness and challenge in rising to the top of the 50 and 100 meter freestyle events, then you realize how incredible his achievements have been thus far. Michael was an All-American in his collegiate career at the University of Missouri. He is also professional international swim league for the LA Current. His list of achievements continues to grow while it is driven by his faith-based beliefs. Michael is currently pursuing his Olympic Games dream now adjusting his sights on the Tokyo 2021 Games. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Good to be here. Yeah, so, um, you know, with all of our guests here on the Well You Mental Training podcast, we really focus on your story, right? And um, how you've gotten to the level you've, you've risen to, but at the same time, what keeps driving you, how, how you keep training, how you approach competition, and, uh, you know, how you focus on the mental side of your sport. So maybe we could start by just learning a bit about your background and when swimming became your passion. Yeah, so swimming really became my passion when I was about like nine years old. Um, it was, you know, it, it was it was kind of a slow thing to get going. Um, I think I love, I fell in love with the water from the first time I hit, I hit it. Um, and in North Carolina, where I grew up in, in Charlotte, summer summer league is like, super, super important. I mean, summer league swimming is where most people get their start. And I, I was a little bit later to the game, but at nine years old, you know, I hopped in the pool and I honestly just like fell in love with it really quickly. Um, and I can remember just like the first couple of years, um, just wanting to get better, wanting to figure this thing out. But I also really wanted to play basketball. So like I was trying to balance my basketball, you know, and, and also coming from a basketball family, I think that that legacy was always there to like try to follow in a little bit. So I was balancing that and it, it, it took until I was about 12 years old for it to like really become my passion. And, and really the story behind that is when I got cut from the seventh grade basketball team. Mm. And that was like, you know, the, that was like God's way of saying, Hey, like swimming is going to be your thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you fell in love with the water as soon as you jumped into it around nine years old. Right. Mm -hmm. But you still had basketball as as a sport you were playing and your dad played basketball, right? Yeah, my dad played at University of North Carolina in uh, from like, in like 16, 1969 to 72. And then he played professional ball in, in Europe for a few years. So uh, he was definitely one to follow with him. And then my, my older brother was 
a very, very good basketball player. He played for Valparaiso um, when they had a couple NCAA tournament runs. And uh, so, yeah, I think and he, he was about 6'9", the star basketball player at my, at my school. So it was kind of the natural thing just to kind of follow the legacy a little bit. Yeah, so ball ran in your blood then, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so how did you make the decision or what was the support like in making that decision to go swimming? Um, you, you, you know, part of it was just, I think I just wasn't that good at basketball. I, I think I always thought I was pretty good. I mean, I thought that I had a pretty nat- natural talent for like shooting the ball, but my, my ball handling skills was not very good. My coordination wasn't very good. And I was just a late bloomer. So, you know, in the basketball world, you can usually tell pretty young who's going to be the athletic kind of dominant basketball players. It's, it's pretty natural. And I think me not seeing that and then giving, getting the firm a- affirmation of getting cut, um, I think the mixture of that, you know, put me in the sport of swimming. And it's, it's kind of funny because swimming is not like a fun game, like the way basketball is. So for a kid, it's a pretty <laughs> weird change to like go away from like the really like enjoyable way to just enjoy the, the game of basketball to really the rigorous style of training to be a, a good swimmer. Mm-hmm. So that change, I think as a kid was definitely hard to adapt to. And there were times where I was like, man, I just want to like, go represent my, my school and go like play in front of my friends and, and have that enjoyment. I don't want to like have this hobby on the side that I just am really working towards that no one really understands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You put a lot of hours into the pool with not a lot of reward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it took, a, it took a while to really understand why I was swimming um, and really what I was working towards. But I think once I got, got the idea behind me that, you know, there is a path, there is a career path in like going towards swimming in college and, you know, trying to make an Olympic Games or a world championship team. I think once that became more real, I really did see like a future in that. Yeah. When did it become real? It became, yeah, I mean, it became real, I'd say like 14, 15, when I started to see a little bit of success. But honestly, like I was a pretty late bloomer. So um, like, like really the definition of a late bloomer, because I, I, I didn't, I mean, I'm about six six now, I probably didn't hit anywhere near that height until into my junior year of high school. Wow. So yeah. it, it definitely took a while. And, and I mean, I was even like a breaststroker Imer in high school and even getting recruited. That was what I was kind of moving into. And I became a sprint freestyler really my into my senior year of high school and really, really into my sophomore year of college. So it, it definitely took a little while to, you know, let that develop. And I realized just, I th- the, the real love that I found for the sport was when I started to, to dive into the sprint freestyle world. Um, because I think that was always a desire of mine, but coaches growing up just pretty much shot that down, you yeah. know? So it took a while for me to really convince everyone around me that I was a, a sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, and it shows a lot of perseverance going through being an IMer and a breaststroker and not necessarily being totally passionate about or or knowing hey maybe i'm more interested in the sprint these sprint events the sprint freestyle events but being able to just keep grinding because practices Mm -hmm. are hard right and um and then eventually get to a point where hey now i'm going to prove it to you i'm going to show you this is this is where i belong yep absolutely and it took it i mean again it was a it was a battle but fortunately i had like a number of coaches that really saw potential in me from a young age and i said this many times but you know if it wasn't for coaches and my parents seeing like potential in me I, I there's no reason why I would have stayed in the sport so like the, the guy I'm even swimming with now is David Marsh and I mean he was the coach of my club team in Charlotte when I was 14 so he saw something in me at that young age 
that I didn't see. So mm. um, I think it was a mixture of having a tall family and a swimmer's build. And he just has all, he, he knew what he was doing. He put this idea in my mind at a young age that I could be something great. So no one else could tell me differently. As long as David Marsh told me that I could be, that's all that really mattered. Yeah, that's so valuable to have people that believe in you and are in your corner and actually see potential that can be realized. Because mm-hmm. the amazing thing about swimming, too, is unlike other sports, you really only need, you know, you only need to do it once. You know, like we're, we're a time-based, achievement-based sport where one time lasts, you know, forever. So if you, if you can get that idea in a kid's head that, you know, your, your success is a direct – a direct result compared to the the time on the clock just get better every day and you can see that every single day and that's one of the reasons why like a time like now is so challenging because you know we're so used to seeing like numbers on a clock every single day that kind of give an affirmation to us getting better physically emotionally mentally you know physically so all this stuff um that we we can constantly see and um i think at a young age like i was able to kind of grasp that and understand that, you know, I just need to do this time at one point and then I'll be good. So like I can, then I can just work to replicate it, replicate it, replicate it. But, you know, it was so funny. Like when I went to college, I just kind of got this feeling that every time I swam, I just dropped time. Wow. And it was a magical time. I mean, literally every time I swam, I would just like, would see another two tenths or, or a second or, you know, two seconds. And I mean, in my hundred freestyle in college, I dropped from a 44 eight going into college to a 40.9 by then so i dropped almost four seconds in four years that's fast so, yeah, yeah so it, it was a lot of time and just a short amount of time and i think uh that that was the true that that was the truest time of the sport where like it's the most fun i mean mm-hmm. you, you can see the work directly being a result so um yeah i i think that was a long answer but <laughs> it's it's uh <laughs> it was a, it was a long path that I think now being where I am, I can honestly say like, I'm very thankful for, you know, everything that's happened up until now. Yeah. Well, that adds a lot of value to what we're experiencing right now being this being a long path also Mm -hmm. with an unknown timeline, but like you said, trying to get better every day and using that as sort of a mantra almost to boost your confidence and boost your belief that you can do it with limited resources and with maybe even limited training time. Um, but was that something that you worked on as a, as a kid growing up as a swimmer and basketball player and then going through Missouri? I mean, or how did that shape, how did that get shaped for you? You know, I think, um, honestly, looking back, I had a, like an enormous amount of faith in, in many different areas growing up that really didn't make sense. Um, I, there were so many kids I grew up with who were just un- had so much talent. I mean, kids who were top five in the state, who had national age group records and, or just, you know, like they were prodigies in my yeah. eyes and yeah. not being one of those growing up. I think it was really, it was really strange having like looking back now, having the amount of really passion that I had without the success. So I think looking back now, there was just like a existential level of faith that I put in, you know, myself and, and God's plan and my family and my coaches that what I was doing was just like the way it was supposed to be. And like, honestly, like I I made so many sacrifices that I didn't even realize I was sacrificing. Like 
time with friends, um, time with family, vacations, um, you know, academics. There was so much stuff that I just like, you know what, I'm just supposed to swim. And I just kind of trusted that <laughs> it was all going to work out. So I don't know. It, it, looking like it was kind of crazy. It was a huge gamble. I mm-hmm. mean, like I was not a great student in high school because I just really wanted to be a good swimmer. Wow. And, and it was kind of a joke among my friends that I was just going to get recruited and go somewhere. But, you know, I can remember sitting at the beginning of my junior year and I'm not getting recruited hardly at all. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, I, did I make a huge mistake here? Like, if I just like, did I just not put enough time into my academics to, you know, go to a good school or like, am I like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Um, am I even going to be able to go swim in college? And uh, somehow it all worked out. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how somehow it just works out when you have a good work ethic mm-hmm. and you stick with something. Plus, you, I mean, having those influences in your life, like a, a great coach like Marsh or, you know, pe- other coaches I'm sure that you had or other people outside of swimming, just reinforcing, like, you're doing the right thing. Keep going. Keep pushing. It's going to work out. Yeah, and, and I would say one of the craziest things, uh, I've had this conversation with my, my coach a few times, but one of the things that kept me going was I was so small and skinny growing up that I would look at my brother who was, you know, six nine, two twenty five, just a massive guy. And I was comparing to what he looked like to all the swimmers that are really fast. And I'm like, okay, well that's in my genetics. So if I just look like that, you know, I, I would have to be a good swimmer. Like, right. Like that would have to, if I have a work ethic and I have that level of, you know, physicality, surely that would coincide. So I think that was a huge thing. And, and one thing that's actually been really strange is that kept me going for so long. And like in college, I was, I walked on the, I walked on the pool deck at six, five, 155 pounds. Wow. So like, so like there was a huge level, like level of, you know, workroom for the coaches to work with when they looked at me. And one of the, one of the hardest things now I'd say is now being 25 being like the, the body that I envisioned when I was 15 is now. You know, it's like, I'm not going to get that much bigger. I'm not going to get like that much stronger than what I am right now. So now I have to take what I have and say, this is the time to do it. So now mm. this is the time to, that when I've been dreaming my whole life about being this big, strong guy, like, well, this is what I'm working with now. So now I have to reframe what the idea is and actually use what I have instead of wishing for the future. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I know, I remember growing up as well, wondering when I was going to hit my growth spurt. And I hear that from a lot of other athletes in sports that demand size, right? And just wondering, hey, am I going to be as tall as my dad or my brother? You know, is it going to happen to me? Look at what's going on. What is this? What? Why am I not growing? And and that maybe even impacting your confidence and your self-identity and self-image. I wonder, did did you go through those internal battles as you're waiting? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, at a certain at a certain point, you know, you're a sophomore or a junior in college, and you're and you're like, you know, when is this growth spurt going to come? Everyone around you is getting these these man muscles, and you know, you're not. And college was a was a huge part of that because my freshman and sophomore year, I really didn't put on that much weight. I mean, I got faster, but I wasn't in my mind like bigger equaled faster, and I still like stayed around 170 you know, for a long time. And even now, like I'm finally like 195, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's still not quite like where I'd want to see it. So I I think it's, you're constantly playing that battle of, you know, well, 
okay, well, here's what I'm working with, but here's what I want to be. But you have to also have to be really, you know, you might not get where you want to be in nine months. You know, like, like if you're in an Olympic quad, you have to envision yourself that you have an idea and a picture of what you want to look like at a certain point, but you might not get there. You might not have the exact key idea of what success looks like visual, visually, but you just got to trust that like so many people have done unbelievable things who, you know, you wouldn't expect it from. Um, and I think that's one thing like it's, that is so important is, is realizing that like success doesn't have a look, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a great, it's a great thing to keep, you know, someone like me active in the sport, but that would be my encouragement to someone who's a, who's a kid who maybe, maybe doesn't have that vision in their head, it, but it just doesn't matter. I mean, there are so many people who, who just, I, I, I can look at it and be like, there's no way that they would be fast or athletic or whatever. And somehow they are. So yeah. uh, that's, I think, an important thing is to, to remember is that it, you just got to keep lo- working for what like God made you to look like. And it's not, you don't need to compare yourself. And comparison is one of the most defeating things in sports. And yeah. if you're just going to sit, sit by and compare yourself to everyone around you, like you're going you're gonna to start doing what they're gonna, what's good for them and not what's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of the saying, comparison is a thief of all joy, mm-hmm. especially joy in something that you love doing. Right. And so, yeah, I love that. Um, you, you said success, success comes and doesn't really come in, in this. How you, how do you phrase that again? Could you repeat that success? Do you remember what you said? <laughs> success doesn't have a, uh, success doesn't, doesn't have a look, you know, success yeah. doesn't, there's not a visual represent, there isn't a visual representation of what success looks like. Yeah. I love that. That's a great line. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could talk about a little bit of your success because you've, you found some along the way, um, going to university of Missouri and, um, going through that process, you know, what was that like for you in, in becoming an all American? It, it, it didn't have, well, it happened in a, in a really miraculous way. My freshman year, I mean, I think going into my, going into college, I was a very good swimmer after my senior year of high school. Uh, so I, I was, I was in the position to do some good things, but I wasn't the key. You know, I wasn't like, it wasn't like expected of me to be this like, you know, dynamic piece of the puzzle yet. Um, but what's crazy is as I've got better my freshman year, all of a sudden relays started opening up and I, I became the relay guy. And I was all of a sudden the anchor on all of these relays. So what ended up happening was there was a guy in front of me who really just had a he was about two years ahead of me in, in school and all of a sudden he had a really a lot of issues. He struggled with like, like drugs and, and, and ended up basically being kicked off the team, like wow. two, going into SECs and going into NCAAs. Wow. So all of a sudden as a freshman, I'm all we have. <laughs> so this is two weeks before SEC starts and I'm now expected to be the guy. So I, I anchor all five of our relays at SECs and anchor all five of our relays at NCAAs as a freshman. And, wow. And all because of the guy who was the superstar in front of me just really had just, you know, had an unfortunate thing happen to him. Um, and I had to learn how to cope with that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, after that, I think that, and then I went into the summer and expected to have the same amount of success, but I really didn't have a good nationals. Um, I think I went home went back to Charlotte and I, I really didn't train very hard because I wanted to 
relax mentally, I guess. I just wanted to kind of reset and I didn't really, I didn't really care because, and which was sad because that was a selection summer. And I think I fully expected to have the same level of, you know, miraculous thing happen to me where if I just kind of went into the summer and gave my best shot, I could, I could get on a, on a team. And I really didn't, I really didn't swim that well. And I came off and uh, just was defeated, you know, like that was the, that was really just like, boom, okay, I need to reset. And I went into my sophomore year with a level of passion and excitement that I think I had never had before. And all of a sudden, I'm refusing to lose to anyone. Um, like I, I, my, the level of competitiveness that I had that year was insane. Um, I, I still talked to my, head, my coach at the time, and he compares sophomore Michael to like my senior year Michael. Because uh, those are the two, my two best years, my sophomore year and senior year. And he still thinks my sophomore year was just like, the truest form he's ever seen in me. And, and he was right. I was, I was crazy. I mean, I, I didn't lose a race, I think almost that whole year. And wow. I went into, um, uh, NCAAs and I think I was seated like 17th or something. Um, and I, and I got fifth as a sophomore and I was the fastest American in the whole NCAA. Wow. So, so amazing. I was, yeah. So there was four, four, there was four foreigners in front of me and, then I was fifth and all of a sudden I kind of like am now on the national scene. So, and this is in 2015. So the, the Olympics are the following year. So now I'm going into the summer and I have made kind of a name for myself and I just blow it out of the water in the hundred free and the 50 free and make both the national team in both events. Um, I think I was like the third, third fastest American in both the 50 free and the hundred free that year. And just really kind of push myself into a really, you know, successful uh, olympic year um or at least what i would have thought so uh, i i went to i went to duel in the pool my junior year and was on a relay with some of the guys that have been my idols for so long and we broke an american record and um so within like a year and a half i just like again just saw so much success um and that was really just like eye-opening for me and so when i got to like january of 2016 i think that's when everything started to like settle and mm. you, I think there's a certain amount of success that comes just from all the years of work that you've done and it kind of catches up to you, uh, whether, whether you're just like, you know, mentally finally processing or you have a chance to relax or, or whatever. And I think finally I just like was able to like chill for a second and then everything kind of caught up. <laughs> and so everything that I've like, like turned my head to or turn a blind eye to and like refuse to de develop mentally or, because I didn't have the sports psychology element of how to deal with failure because mm -hmm. I'd really since ever since, except for the, after my freshman year, I, that was the last time I really tasted failure. So I was, I was riding at 18 month high of every time I swam, I just was faster, faster, faster. And wow. so I, I thought, yeah. I, I thought I was the guy. <laughs> Expectations. And, yep. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think when reality hits and now you're six months out from the Olympic trials, it's kind of like what we talked about. Um, when a little while ago was, you know, you, you have a picture as a kid of what you're going to look like. Um, and you're, and it's, you have an envision, you're like, okay, well, here's where I am. And when this, when this Olympics happened, I'm, I'll look, I'll look just like this and it'll be perfect. Well, now all of a sudden I'm six months out from this moment and I'm looking at myself and I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready. And you start to think all of all the scenarios of well, what if I make it? What if I don't, what if like, what's my life going to look like? And I, I've always said this, but it's very hard for someone training for the Olympics to envision life after the Olympics. 
um, because there's so many pathways. And so it's, that's one of the scariest things about it is you envision making it and life's amazing and you're on a high and, and you, all your dreams come true and you make lots of money and happiness is abound and, you know, or you fail and you have to reset and maybe you quit and maybe you, you know, turn a career path or whatever and you frame it in a certain way, but you don't want to think too much about it because it's, you're still only six months out. So I had to battle all that while having all these, you know, spiritual and emotional things that are just, just kept coming up. And it just kind of felt like, like it was just a very a six months of everything just kind of falling apart. And, wow. And didn't have a very good NCAAs. I mean, I got like six as opposed to fifth the previous year. And I think three Americans came out of nowhere and beat me. And uh, <laughs> so it, it was like, all right, well, what's happening? What's Am I not training hard enough? And um yeah, so now it, it was it was crazy. Like go, walking into 2016, I just didn't feel like myself. Um, mm. So that was a huge flip, and I had to figure out how to adjust that. That's really interesting. You went from this 18 month high where you just kept seeing gains and gains and gains mm-hmm. every step of the way, to almost realizing a dream, and then six months out having these doubts, mm-hmm. almost right. Yep. Like. And feeling like maybe you had not done enough work or stopped doing the right work. Right. Is that, is that the way you were describing it? Yeah. It, it's, it's really just, uh, I think, I think success, constant success is a great, is a great recipe for confidence, you know, cause if you're just constantly succeeding, why would you ever doubt what you're doing? And I think, um, that was where I was at up until about, you know, early February and life starts to catch up and you start to have things happen to you. And once I had a bad NCAAs, that was the first chink in the armor where it was like, okay, now we need to readjust. And it was like a couple of meets leading up into 2016. It was like, these are not good. And so then you're yeah. walking in 2016, you have all this faith and you're like, it's just going to work out. It's going to work out and it'll be, it'll all be okay. Um, and I didn't make the team. I, I, uh, I had a really poor first half of the Olympic trials. Um, and had a really unfortunate dive that pretty much cost me making the semifinals. So I was seated fifth and I was se- going into the, uh, the meet. So I was seated to make the team, uh, top six makes it in my event. So, you know, ideally I was just go my best time, go 48, 8.8. It actually ended up being eight forty eight seven that made the team, but you know, I'd be right there and I ended up adding a second and just had a really disastrous hunter freestyle. Um, oh man. So I sat at 18th, um, lofty scratches cause he's already made the team and he was my training buddy. And, you know, I'm sure part of it was he wanted to help me out and I was sitting at 17th and I had to ask some people if they would scratch for me so I could get into the finals. Um, and everyone said, no, obviously, I mean, why would they say yes? And I sat at 17th while everyone went on and the three guys that beat me at NCAAs all made, the, all made the team. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you, you were actually begging people to give you a shot. Yep. Wow. That, I mean. Yeah, that was tough. That's hard. Yeah. Cause my, my thought process was, okay, these two guys have already made the team. They probably don't have a super great chance of making it an honor freestyle. Cause it's not their event. And even if they don't make it, or even if they would make it, like they can always time trial it at camp and put themselves in contention to be on the relay. So why wouldn't they? And, you know, but the other argument is they've put in four years of work, if not more for this. And why would they sacrifice it for a kid they barely know? So, 
it was it was tough coming to that realization but you know i remember waiting for the call with my parents at lunch and just hearing the news and just you know you're just so distraught because it's like it's like your whole world's crashing down you know Mm. this is my dream can i go four more years what like what does it look like and i had so many coaches come by me in those three days and just say you cannot stop you need to keep going like this is this is not your end and that i remember leaving olympic trials in a better place than walking into it um and i really yeah i mean even the last night of the 50 freestyle I, i i made the top eight i got fifth and top two makes the team i mean i barely missed it but i finished with the best time and um i was able to finish on a strong note and uh i mean gosh i yeah i left very sad but honestly like it's kind of like a breath it's it's just a relief um you, I, i'm sure you know this but when you're in an olympic year it feels like you have a pile of bricks just sitting on you the whole year and it's kind of hard to yeah. breathe but you feel like you're just carrying this load and then right before the olympic trials you'll dump it all and you'll swim you know perform really well and then after the olympics you can just breathe again and that's kind of what happened about a month about seven weeks ago was we had all this stuff going on we're carrying all this load and all of a sudden olympics postponed and it's like oh gosh <laughs> i can breathe but i don't want to <laughs> yeah you know it's, you're not ready for it yet yeah so um it again i i think weirdly enough coming off of all that i was really sad but the two i mean what i realized is really only going to be two hard moments and all that there's going to be the moment where you see the people who make the team and you're really sad because you know you can beat some of those people and you know you should have beat some of those people and you know those people you're also happy for them because you know you know their dreams are coming true but you're but you're upset you're not one of them and that's a challenge and then the second part hardest part is watching them go on into the olympics and mm-hmm. and the result of what what happens and, and we won gold that summer you know so that would have been a gold medal so those are the two hardest moments but the main the amazing thing is once you get past those two moments it kind of goes away after about three months it, it, it people stop you know the, the olympics pass you know everything the dust settles and everyone's kind of good and yeah and it's tough to see the success that you would have had but you, part of the whole mentality of being an athlete is learning to put it past you and yeah. i talked about how my sophomore year and my senior year were my, were my best years i came off into my senior year with the same sort of thing i was so motivated that it was probably unhealthy I mean, I was the only thing that actually probably kept me grounded was I, I ended up meet, meeting my wife the day after the Olympic trials. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah you never know, right? Right. So I, I've been trying to meet her for a long time. We ended up having like a miraculous encounter. And a month later, you know, we go on our first date. So going into my senior year, I had that rock of just the excitement outside the pool where I was just getting to know this girl and bring her into my life and having someone to talk to about all the stuff that's been going on the past few months. And we just really like moving in my senior, senior year. We, we were connecting super quick. Like it's going to sound crazy, but like I bought an engagement ring over Christmas. So like three, three months later. And I, yeah. I remember going back to school and I gave it to my coach and was like, Hey, I might be insane. I bought a ring. Uh, please put it in your safe and don't give it to me <laughs> for four months, at least until after the, after uh, NCAAs, because if I, I'll probably do something dumb and propose before then, but at least I can say like I waited seven months. Um, <laughs> and we uh, we went on to NCAAs, and she came and watched. It was in Indianapolis, and I 
had a great comp- I had a great meet. I, I got second place to the fastest man to ever swim the hundred freestyle, Caleb Dressel, and uh, was oh, only a second wow. second American to ever break forty one seconds. Um, beat some of the guys that beat me that previous summer, and um, you know I, I think that when that was my second to last race at NCAA's, um, and I finished it with an even with a really good anchor on our four hundred free relay, so I finished being 11 time first team all American, 11 time honorable mention all American. And so looking back at my, I, that was the end of my whole college career. So I'm, I'm officially done and on a high, on a high. And, and so I'm officially like, like, I don't care about the Olympics anymore. You know, I'm like, I, I, I would literally remember finishing that beat and being like, I'm good. Like I traded my missing the Olympic team for meeting my wife. And I proposed the week after the NCAAs. And so we, we like, it was crazy. Like that was a, that was a really cool framing of what actually matters to someone like me in life. And yeah, I still want the Olympics more than anything, but I don't, I would never have sacrificed what has happened to me in the past few years for something like that. Um, Cause I think also given the baggage that I was carrying going into 2016, I wouldn't have taken mm-hmm. it in the way that I would have wanted. Um, you know, looking at like where I am now, like I've been married for two and a half years and um, going into an Olympic games and wanting the success that I would have, I would, I can honestly say I would take it in a way where I would, it would not compromise who I am and what mm-hmm. I, and what I believe in. Um, it just, it, it matters to me differently. And I think growing up, like that was always the way I'd want to do it. I would never want to compromise who I am or use that for something that maybe doesn't really uh, line up with my values. What, a, what an amazing lesson for everybody listening. And I think, you know, earlier you mentioned that you, you weren't as prepared for failure, especially when you, you, your first NCAAs went wrong and then you went through that six-month period and then you had your failure, your big failure moment in Olympic trials. But I wonder, you know, well, in our app, in the Well You Mount Training app, we talk about confidence in different layers, right? But first, you're a person. So you have self-confidence, then you're, you're an athlete. So you have athlete confidence, and then you have skill-based confidence. Maybe it's freestyle. Maybe it's the events you swim. Maybe it's uh, different aspects of the events. But you also have this different part of your core values that help you bring your best self into what you do in terms of understanding your identity. And I wonder, going through all this failure, going through all these ups and downs that you experienced after that really high 18 month period where you just saw everything go right. Right. I wonder if that's something you've learned or if there's something else that you've learned and how to, how to deal with uh, results and how to deal with the, the progress that you're making. Yeah. I think, you know, so I I grew up in a, in a a pastor's family. My dad was a pastor in North Carolina and, and I saw how he led the church and how he led people who go through crisis and go through, just some terrible, um, you know, highs and lows. And for me, I think I grew up as a Christian. I grew up believing all this stuff. And, you know, like a lot of us do, we just kind of like, we go through the motions, we understand it, we understand what it means. And and it, it doesn't really become real until you actually have to make a decision for, you know, how you deal with hardship and how you deal with, with heartbreak. And when I went through that, um, I think that was the honest truth of what do I believe? Cause um, mm-hmm. I had so many people come to me and like, 
they they blame me for what happened. I mean, they blame me for like I need to take ownership for messing up my start and missing the team and and I just always refuse to look at it like that. I mean, yeah, like I messed up. I'll own that. I mean, it was my fault, but like I'm not going to one for one moment think that that's just like the universe telling me to stop swimming or something like that or or my inability to do something great. I think that's why you see so many athletes who have this tremendous faith because we know more than anyone that we're not in control. And there's anything like a pan mm. pandemics taught us is gosh, we're not in control even in the slightest. And yeah. I think coming off of, you know, the Rio Olympics, it was just, it was like an honest truth. Like, where am I going to take this? I can take this and just have a terrible senior year and finish, you know, on my, I can finish in a way that's, you know, going to pout and mope off of missing the team and go and do something else. Or I can say, you know what, that was used, like God's using this for something different that maybe I didn't plan. Um, I, I strongly believe that he wanted me to meet my wife and he didn't want me to use that Olympic success for something that doesn't give him honor. And I think that's exactly what would have happened. I, I, I don't think I would have used that in a way that some people do use it really well. I don't think I would have. Um, so coming off of that, I think my found, the foundations of my belief are just more so lined up in a, in a way that I can swim and understand, you know, why I'm swimming. And it's not for myself. It's not for any kind of accomplishment or self-recognition or, glory i mean like who doesn't like that stuff but it's not why i do it you know i i think it's uh, there's so so much more there's a bigger picture as to why like i'm able to do this sport and why i'm still able to do it and i mean gosh like it could be taken from me any moment i mean that was pretty honest and so i'm gonna keep doing it until i can't do it anymore or i'm called to do something else that is you know better yeah i love that visual too of of belief that you just painted for us and i think um what you're what you're talking about what i hear you saying is when you're you're faced with a situation especially a moment of making a mistake or a moment of failure um it's your choice in what how you choose to respond to it right and and so often you see uh great talented athletes great talented people in non athletic events right mm -hmm. they let that moment of failure or mistake define them yeah and it's and then it starts to impact the next things that they do. And I love what you said about choosing how to use it, choosing to fall back on your beliefs in in God and that there's a higher power and 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 falling back on your religion, mm -hmm. right? Like your roots. Yeah. And then allowing that to take over the the direction that you go while choosing how to do it. Yeah. Right. Choosing how you want to define yourself. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not sure there's a, there's a huge difference between how we're supposed to handle success and how we're supposed to handle failure. I think, I think they're pretty similar in the way we're supposed to handle them. And, you know, I was always taught growing up, like handle, handle success, like the way you would, you know, act like you've done it before, you know? And, and I think, uh, cause we've all, we've all had failure. And, and one of the hardest things in, as an athlete, and, you know, unless you're like a, a really ar arrogant, selfish person, which most of us aren't, when you when you succeed you recognize that it means someone else failed and we're all walking the same level of life i mean we're all doing the same things we're all and especially in the swimming world like we're all grinding and sacrificing and doing all this hard stuff and i mean when i succeed someone else is getting the same taste of failure that i've had before and that stinks and i and i feel that um but at the same time like when i when i fail like i think it still hurts really bad but it 
I think just recognizing why I'm doing this has given a, a different kind of meaning to the whole process. And, you know, one of the bigger challenges I've had recently is just recognizing the process and enjoying it um, and enjoying the moments, the momentary um, affliction, the pain um, that, co- that goes along with the, the journey and recognizing that, you know, every step is really supposed to be a joy and getting back to like that time when, you know, I had 18 months of just total success. Um, letting that be kind of like a time where, you know, I can, I, that, that doesn't have to be the only time I'm happy or only time when I'm like enjoying this. I can kind of recognize that just going to the pool is a privilege and just going, being yes. able to get in the waters, being able to do anything that I was able to do at one point is just a, is just a real joy. Yes. We're realizing that more and more every day right now with this pandemic. Yeah. Right, this shelter in place. We're learning how to really appreciate the small stuff. Absolutely. I I wonder. So you've you've competed in world championships since those 2016 Olympic trials. You've won gold medals on relays at that the biggest event, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of those Olympic events, um, how do you approach a competitive situation? How do you approach a swim? Like, what's your whole process? Yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting question. I, I think for my my process when approaching a race is finding the a, the way to be the truest form of who I am. Um, and I one thing I just recognized in the past few years is every time I walk into a race, there's always some something that's going on in my life that's going to demand me to be a different kind of you know athlete or different kind of competitor. Um, sometimes I'm just really kind of like ticked off and I'm just quiet and I I'm enjoying it. Like I'm enjoying just being like in my own zone. I don't really want to talk to anyone. And sometimes I'm just like totally happy and goofy and you wouldn't even be able to see the two people. I mean, in the same room, I mean, they're just so, so opposite. And for a while there, that bugged me. I was like, well, what's my truest way to be before I race? Like, why do I have all these different ways like that? I, you know, because on the pool deck in practice, I'm like the happiest fun guy who wants to just like you know have fun and talk and work hard and and, but be the guy who's like lifting everyone up and and making sure everyone's having a a bright day and um but that's not always me when i walk into a race i mean sometimes i'm just not going to have that level of excitement that maybe i should um so i think finding that balance has been definitely a challenge the past few years because you know like I said earlier, like being able to recognize the joy and just the ability to do what you love should be amazing. But I don't always want to, I don't feel like I always need to show that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think walking into a race and being just kind of free is the best thing. And that's kind of been my mentality the past few years. And I honestly kind of where I'm seeing this next year going into because of the Olympic postponement and just kind of, I'm just thankful that it's even happening next year. Um, it's on, on the yeah. books and I, I can just go into this next year and just be kind of free and enjoy doing it. Um, but I'm not me walking into a race. You know, I've always said that Michael Chadwick outside the pool is more important than in the pool. And the moment that that shifts, mm. um, I'm doing something wrong. Um, the moment that my wife comes to me and says, Hey, Michael, it's time to stop. Like I got to stop. You know, it's like, I've told her that many times. Like if you ever feel like it's my time to just be done, like you have full authority to say that because she's making sacrifices too. And she knows me better than anybody. And she needs to be able to say, Hey, like this sport is compromising who you are. And there's gotta be a balance with that. 
Um, because your person, I mean, you, you would be the first one to say this. Your person is the most important thing. I mean, we yeah. have a finite level of time in our sport. We have a certain maybe a 10 or 15, 20 year span where we can do this thing really great. And then you got to transition to something else. And how are you going to use the time that you had in the sport to share your knowledge, share your love, share your gift with other people so they can also get that love and also understand what you went through? If you, if you squander that to say that you only selfishly used it for you, well, you're going to go off of this and you're going to have a really hard time transitioning into the real world where there isn't quite the same level of success that you would see day to day to day. And we're going to, yeah. and the reality is whatever I transition to after this, I probably won't have the same level of natural, ta- natural ability that I had in the pool. It'd be very challenging to do that because, you know, there's so many people out there who do what they've been doing, what they do for years. And I'm going to be at a late start. So you have to have that humble mentality to walk into any, anything and say, you know, how am I going to approach this? What's the best way? And be, be teachable. You know, I, I, I would, one of the best compliments I think someone could give me after I'm done swimming is that I was teachable and I was coachable and yeah. that I didn't feel like I always had the answers. Although probably most of the time I think I do, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I think that's where I, I've been trying to be just like, I want to learn, you know, I want to, I want to be able to have my coach walk up to me and say anything to me and, Give me the hard stuff. Give me the stuff that like I don't want to hear, because you're co- not just coaching an athlete; you're coaching a person. Yeah, that's a great message, and it's and it breeds presence almost. Being able to be coachable is about being present and being open, Sim- similar to the way that you're present with how you're feeling when you walk onto the pool deck and preparing for a race. It sounds like you're there. Right. You're where your feet are, and and. You're preparing to swim based on all the training that you've done and, and put it to the test, right? But at the same time, you have to bring your person into that too, into that race. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, I really like the way you just said that. So um, as you are preparing for next summer's Olympics now, right? right. Um, are you setting goals around the Olympics? I haven't set any goals yet, um, and that's intentional because we don't know how long we're going to be in this. Um, that's the reality. And to live in a goal-stated mind right now, that's a year from now, is really just going to breed anxiety and impatience um, in, in my mind because I think re- in reality, the longest you can go with having like a clear goal is maybe six to eight months. That's, that's, if you're reaching, if you're, if you're reaching for what's achievable, you know, you can have long-term goals, you can have ideas, you can have, um, you know, thoughts about where you want to be, but let's say I set the goal of winning the Olympics next summer and everything I do, but with that goal, you know, a goal without a plan is just a dream. So if I set Mm -hmm. that goal right now and I say, I'm going to win next summer, well, I better be doing everything right now to be moving towards that, making that happen. Now, the reality is the level of drive and commitment that that takes is pretty much unrealistic right now. Um, I don't have the pool space. I don't have the workout routine. I don't have the motivation, quite frankly, to do that. So I can start. If I started that, I would get burned out in a few months and that wouldn't be healthy. So I have to recognize that a lot's changed, you know, and the first time we're actually probably going to have a real meaningful competition in my sport is probably November. So how do I look mm. towards November and say, okay, that's, that's my time frame. I can move into that meet and set myself up to have a great Olympics next summer. So that's the process. Um, but right now it's about 
I mean, it sounds kind of like simple, but it's really about what makes you happy. Um, and you need to make sure what makes you happy is not, is not self-destructive and that, but, or self-compromising, but you need to do what's giving you joy. And if, if something's giving you real joy and it's, it's still developing you as a person, then that's what you need to be doing. Um, because mm-hmm. during this time, I mean, gosh, it's so, I was having a conversation with my, uh, my brother-in-law yesterday, he's 15 years old and all he's been doing all day is playing video games. But, but why wouldn't he, you know, like that's the only, like that's giving him intrinsic value and that's giving him something to work towards every single day. And I, but so what I was telling him was, Hey, like, I understand why you want to play video games all day. Like I could also do that. And, but how can we also develop a routine that maybe gets you active a little bit so you can start working on some other areas. So then when you get to play your video games, you're actually get to enjoy it more. And you get to have, the, and have that time as your time, not as your like only way to actually enjoy life. So we sat down last night and wrote out a whole, you know, nine to nine to eleven p.m. time frame for him to just have a routine to do stuff. And and, yeah, and he great. loved it. And he was like, "All right, well, this is great. Let's let's work towards this and try this and try this." And and I was gonna call him today and see if he actually did it. <laughs> but yeah, hold him accountable. Yeah, um, but that's. That's kind of like where I think we're at right now. It's it's a day by day process, and you know we get two weeks from now get a call and all this is over. I mean, who who knows? We just well, we got to trust in something bigger and uh, take it take our motivation as the simplest form as being just something that maybe um, isn't always there the way we want it to be. I mean, right now motivation can can be taken away in a heartbeat. So I mean, I I think we're all kind of going through highs and lows, highs and lows every single week. I mean, it seems like. Every day is the same, but one day I'm like moving pretty good. I'm enjoying laying on my couch and doing this stuff. And another day I'm like, ah, I just want to get out of here. I'm going straight crazy. And finding yeah. that balance is, is pretty, it's pretty uh, difficult. So um, there's not a perfect way to do it. But um, again, six months from now, eight months from now is kind of where I'm looking. And then we'll kind of play it by ear after that. Yeah, I, I like that. And so you put a time, time component to anything you're looking forward to. But so when you were you you spoke about the Olympic trials in 2016 and the six months leading up to that, right, right, right. They they weren't how you wanted them. When you think about having these these uh, markers, you know, these six seven months out, you know, in a normal mm-hmm. year, how do you make your plan? Like you said, day to day, and you were working on that, even getting better each day in that 18 month period, but. What, maybe going back to the 2016 trials, were you doing that then? Is that something that you were able to do then? Or was it more focused on that, um, that big, like that, that pile of bricks that was coming up? Oh, man, I think, I think it, was, it, was, it was definitely a sixth. I mean, looking in January, I think there, I didn't know how to do this. You know, I think uh, I was so new to all of this. And that's part, that was part of the problem is. I didn't understand the six month commitment. I didn't understand the year long commitment. And I think that was one of my biggest problems is mm-hmm. I was six months out and I was, I was panicking because um, I didn't know how to keep going. I'd probably been burning the candle for 18 months already. So like I had all my success front loaded. So by the time I got to where I was, like I didn't have the energy to go six more months. Um, no one yeah. explained to me what if, what getting tired and, and, Honestly, looking back, they probably should have given me like a month off, like in December or something, just to kind of clear my head. Because um, in reality, like we made that that year a priority in college and we probably shouldn't have. 
Um, we probably should have just taken a deep breath and recognized that I've been having a lot of success for 18 months. And, um, but I didn't know how to express that. I didn't know how to communicate that because I thought hard work equals success. So why would I stop? You know, and we got to recognize mm -hmm. as athletes, mm -hmm. it's not that simple. Yeah, that's, that's a good lesson. I, we talked about reflection being a foundational mental skill, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Being able to take a step back, look back on things while you're disengaging. I mean, and you said you even did that before your sophomore year when you had a great season. Right, right. Yeah, I did. Right. And, and after my junior, my, after my freshman year, I think, you know, taking that time was probably like, you know, at the time, not very smart, but it kept me engaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, these are great, great takeaways, great nuggets for everybody. I mean, learning from your story and, and the path that you're on is, is so valuable. Um, you know, last question that I'd love to hear what you have to say, because I think it's going to be a good answer. But um, is there any advice that you would give to other athletes, you know, aspiring to make it to such an elite level in swimming or any other sport like Olympic sport or even a professional sport? Yeah, absolutely. Um... So the biggest thing I would say is you have to learn to believe in yourself more than anyone else does. Um, at a young age, below the age of 15, I'd say your, your intrinsic value comes from everyone around you. It comes from coaches, parents, friends, seeing something in you that you probably don't see yourself. At a certain point, though, that's got to flip. And you got to make it yours and you got to make sure you're the driving factor in what you're doing. Um, and no matter what anyone tells you, you have to believe that what you're doing is the most important thing. I mean, people, people laughed at me when I said I wanted to swim high D one or at Auburn or somewhere like that, where I was, you know, it was like a, it was like, a, it'd be a dream come true to swim for a program like that. And, um, why wouldn't they laugh? I mean, it's, it's, it's how often do we hear people who just talk big and don't back it up? Um, we hear it all the time. Yeah. And, um, I was, in my mind, I was, I was, I wanted to back it up, you know, and, and honestly, like I probably didn't have the work. I probably didn't have the daily success to even prove that I, that I was even working towards that. I had the, I had a work ethic, but I didn't have the work ethic that some people had. Um, but what I did have is I had a mm -hmm. faith in myself that was bigger than anything else. Um, and I committed to, I committed to the process. So understand that there is a journey, there's a process and everything in sports is a process based um, is a process-based journey. It's non-outcome-based. We can't focus on that. We got to face the day-to-day -day, day -day process. And my most important thing is lay out your journey at a young age and understand that you're willing to make sacrifices for everything that comes along the way. Because you're going to have to say no to things that are really exciting and really appealing because you know that what you're working towards is more important. Um, and mm -hmm. understand that what you might get out of this whole process might not be the thing that the thing that you think you're going to get out of. You know, I walked into this thinking like Olympics equals happiness and success. And right now I'm thinking, you know what, just swimming to the point that I'm at has been success. And, you know, I've gotten two world, uh, two long course world championship gold medals, a few short course and then two world records behind my name and still don't even think of that as my biggest accomplishment when I think of the sport of swimming. Uh, and wow. I think that that's something that honestly has become new to me in only the past like few months, even, um, because having success given to you and taken away constantly, it gets to the point where you realize, like, I'm just thankful for where swimming's brought me It brought me to my wife. It brought me to 
you know, San Diego, it brought me to um, all these amazing relationships that would not have formed otherwise. So I think just having that understanding and developing that mentality at a, at a young age even is so valuable. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are so excited and th- great, great message. I knew it was going to be gold. <laughs> Um, but we're, we're so excited to watch you continue on and pursue um, just your, your joy and love in swimming and swimming and see where it takes you. I, I know, I truly believe you're going to reach a level that maybe you don't even know you could reach. And, you know, with this approach that you've taken and learned through all of your, your experiences, it's just going to be um, amazing to see where you land. And um Thanks, thanks so much for being on here and sharing your, your wisdom, sharing your experiences, and sharing key takeaways for everybody else. Yeah, thank you. Really thank appreciate you. It was a privilege. <laughs> yeah. 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 If people want to connect with you on social media, where should they go? Uh, in, Instagram is great. Michael Chadwick 95 and uh, Twitter is occasionally used in Chad 95. So <laughs> either one. Um, yeah, that's where I'm most active. Hey, Brian. Uh, Well, another great interview. Um, How was your experience talking with Michael? He seemed he had a lot to say and a lot of growth along his process. Yeah, I I felt that there was a ton of very, very valuable experiences that he went through in his ups and downs in his career thus far. He's still going for it in 2021 as we get through this pandemic. But um, I was really, really inspired by what he had learned along the way and being balanced and being true to himself, even if he's not getting the results that he's been working so hard for. I thought that was a really important message. And he's learning about values and how, how important those are to have balance outside of the pool so that he can be free to pursue his goals in the pool. Yeah, and, and and when I was listening to it, I mean, it you know seems like there was a lot of similarities. You know, maybe even the way you had trained in your sport because of water polo, uh, just hearing about you know growing into his body and having that type of body to be able to do that type of sport, and it sounded like you could really relate to what he was talking about in that regard. Yeah. I definitely was listening and it was pulling back a few scabs from my own Olympic experience as well as my development um, through my high school years. And um, I could totally relate to what he was talking about with um, the idea that success doesn't have a look and Mm -hmm. also wondering and waiting, when am I going to grow into this body that I see my dad have and and my older brother and, and the the success that they found in basketball, how does that relate to me and my passion for swimming and the joy that I find? I, I feel like there's a lot of other young athletes in that same situation. A hundred percent, you know, they're, they're in a sport. They love the sport. Um, cause he actually, you know, interestingly enough was talking about how he actually thought basketball was more fun. You know, like he, he wasn't as good as it. He understood and realized that his body hadn't grown into the body he needed at the time or his coordination skills weren't there, but he had more fun with that. But he found swimming and it just seemed to click and work at a certain point. And one thing I've kind of realized through a lot of athletes kind of discussions is he did have a couple coaches early on that had a high belief in him. 
um, and what he was doing with swimming. And I've kind of, it seems like a theme I've heard with a lot of our, our guests on the show is that there was somebody that had that and his dad was a pastor, but he also had coaches that followed his pretty much his whole career because they had a belief at, a, at an early start. Yes, he said some interesting things around intrinsic value and motivation that you can, you're, you're going to need to be guided. You know, if the, the shepherd leads the flock of sheep, right? You're going to need to be guided up until somewhere around your mid-teens. But around that point, you're going to need to figure out how to shift that that intrinsic value that you gain from other people to how you can guide it yourself. Because there's going to always come a point where you're going to have to realize, okay, I could be something great, as he was told from his coaches. But now I know I can be something great because I'm going to have this existential belief system built into me that I can continue to empower every day that I'm going through my process. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a big thing for listeners and just anyone that's in a sport trying to get to a certain place in their sport is understanding, um, you know, that ability to just continue working and doing your craft and his craft didn't really start to shed results till his senior year almost and then going into his sophomore year which you know were his two best years of college um the sophomore year and the senior year of high school where he really wasn't even recruited and he wasn't sure it was going to happen and then he just kept doing his process um and i think that is what you're talking about is like finding a way to build that internal you know value system belief system that in, intrinsic values for yourself um and and you don't know when it's going to really pop right yeah, and for yeah. him it, w- it was late he, you know like he kept saying it was a late bloomer um but here he is uh, olympic hopeful yeah and i think we need to talk about failure for a minute because he shared so many moments of failure that maybe he wasn't even prepared for um and he and he mentioned that he didn't have as much guidance in terms of the mental side and sports psychology and and how he could process failure, how he could even prepare for the potential of failure when he went on that that sophomore run, right? When he went on 18 months of just continual improvement, performance was getting better and better and better. He kept dropping time. And then that six month window out from the Olympic games when he basically started to feel the weight of such a heavy, heavy event coming and the pressure mounted. And he was, he, I think he was starting to discuss about too much focus on the outcome and how great it was and how he thought he was the guy already and how he had already made it before he actually went through Olympic trials and was selected for the team. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a hundred percent, you know, the process for anyone reaching a certain level of success is they're going to be these failures. And it was, you know, (laughs) it's hard to ever really fully be prepared for like them because it's such an experience. Um, But he, he, in his reflection, which I thought was amazing how he's able to reflect through this whole interview, actually on his whole process with such depth. But the, um, the moment of his failure was when he met his wife. Um, which, you know, in reflection, he said that was one of the greatest moments for him, um, uh, even above swimming. So I think, I think it sheds a little bit of light in these moments of like tough times. There's, 
there's always somewhere you can find a little, you know, nugget of, of success or happiness or uh, unveils an opportunity for something else, which happened to be his wife at that, yeah. at that moment. And um, exactly, and think, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that quote really struck me towards the end. He said that Michael outside the pool is more important than Michael inside the pool. And I think, I think every athlete looks at that differently, but for him, that was the most important thing. And he just, we're, you know, we're a person, you train a person, not an athlete. And I think that's something that we, as you know, sports figures and helpers and athletes, we really need to like further that conversation. Um, exactly. You know, along. That, that is so important. I think that is why he's going to be successful in this next Olympic games. It's because he's going to focus on the truest form of himself. And he mentioned that even as he approaches a race now and having the silver lining of meeting his wife at the end of the Olympic trials made that experience a little bit easier to transition through, I think, for him in terms of that moment of failure and and uh, moving into his, I think he went back to, to University of Missouri for his senior year. But um, he realizes now that his Olympic success can't compromise who he is and what he believes in and what's important to him. And I think when athletes realize that everything outside the pool is as important or maybe even more important than when you jump in, you know, for for any athlete, any anything needs to be balanced outside because you're a person first and then you're an athlete second. And that goes along with anything else you do, whether it's school or or um, a career or anything, you know, hobbies, you know, if you, you can do those things so much better with a with a free and clear mind because all this stuff away from it is balanced or you're able to sort of leave that stuff for another time outside the gates and have an idea of how you're going to balance it when you get to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it just brought a lot of things home. I think for me, and I, I hope it did for the listeners as well, just kind of tied it all together. So great, great interview. And, you know, thanks again, Michael, for, for sharing with us. And uh, we'll look forward to our next guest. So thanks, Brian. Thanks to everyone for listening. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Ami. have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance, then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process, so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you're hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUApp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook.